The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, decouple those Heisenberg compensators and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 179 with guest Brian Randell, recorded live Friday, June 2nd, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Online at www.devexpress.com. Also by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's addressed next week will be Tech Ed Jam Sessions, Boston, Massachusetts, Carl Franklin. In my living room. Welcome That's back from your vacation wherever you went. I know you went on vacation. If you live in the States anyway, last weekend was Memorial Day weekend. And welcome to another great episode of .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, show number 170 what, Richard Campbell? 179. 179. Almost 180 episodes of this stuff. Where has the time gone, my friend? And 200 is sneaking up on us. I don't even know what we should do for 200. The bicentennial. Everybody makes such a big deal. Uh, you know, it's like the, it's just another excuse for us to have a party. There you really. go. Really. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll drink on the show. How's that? We'll pull out the, the scotch. We'll do a virtual clink. There we'll toast each other throughout the show. There you go. We'll we'll probably do something fun. We we have something fun planned. I you know it's too late now, but I would really love to get a a tech ed party together, a .NET Rocks party, a tech ed. But you know, tech ed is a real sort of frenetic time for speakers and people who are there. Much better to do that at the PDC, don't you think? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know when we're when you're a speaker, you got a lot to get ready for for tech ed. Yeah, and uh, we've got our live show put together now, so that's going to be a huge thing. Yeah, it's just it's really tough to have much fun at tech ed. Just being there is as much fun as you can take. Yeah, exactly. So we'll definitely put together a .NET Rocks party for the PDC whenever that is, uh, the next professional developers conference, and that ought to be fun. We'll we'll invite all of our previous guests previous and present guests to come and you can come and hobnob with them and that'll be fun but um you got some email to read richard i do indeed in fact let me read you this one here from james saul out of uh, hampshire the uk and uh, i like this he's got a boilerplate tag that says praise a plenty fab etc etc how come this whole boilerplate flattery has gone by the wayside <laughs> Well, I think it's all been said, but, you know, we still love it, so by all means, send us praise. We don't mind. But this next line's important. This paragraph's really important. Really enjoyed listening to the Kim Tripp show on the train up to London yesterday, and I think you should keep the pressure on Kim to do a regular show with Richard. Yeah. But please get Pwop to do it, because the quality is top dollar. Yeah. I especially look forward to her shows, and I gain a lot of information from Kim's regular feed. That's her, her blog. At, right. Uh, 
SQLHERA, H-E-R-A.com. <laughs> that one's still there. I actually like the whole SQL feed in general, and and uh, I really plugged the SQL Down Under show, which is uh, another associate of ours. Great show. Greg Lowe. Yeah, Greg Lowe. He's awesome. So. And he's new, a new RD as well. Yes, he is. Fairly new. So. She has to do a show, and we will all appreciate you nagging her to get on to it. Don't worry. We'll stay in honor, James. We'll get this done. We will. We will apply pressure. <laughs> and finally, he says, love the show. I think you need to get Kim Cameron back on to get into some more detail. Has he only skimmed the very top of his subject, which, of course, is identity. He I is couldn't the agree identity more. king. I yeah. couldn't agree more. We need some DNR TVs, and I think he should just be back on DNR, because there's so much to talk about. We do. We, we really ought to have him back. And, and some DNR TVs are definitely in, in the works with Kim. Uh, stay tuned for that. Hey, uh, Richard, we found out yesterday on the uh, RD alias, and, and it turned out that the whole world found out about this Office Adobe PDF thing. This let is me, crazy. Let me, just, let me just explain what's going on, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, Adobe has told Microsoft that they could not put save as PDF support in Office, in, in Word, and in all of the, you know, Excel, whatever, wherever you can create a PDF. And this is an open protocol that uh, they have freely stated in their licensing anyone is free to to do it to use it in their software to create to save as pdf except for microsoft they want they not only want microsoft they don't want microsoft to take it out what they want is for microsoft to charge their customers so they'll have to pay extra for that feature and they want adobe wants money for it of course Wow. And, and and yeah, it's it's hard and, and I might say Microsoft has and we've been talking to people at Microsoft, they agreed to ship Flash and Shock and Shockwave with every copy of Windows Vista. And they also offered to give OEMs the option to remove XPS, which is their what is that, the XML version of a PDF file or something? Right, right. From Windows. And Adobe said, no, that's not enough. Uh, they, they're pressuring Microsoft to do more. They're asking them to charge their customers a price for using what everyone else in the world can use for free. Isn't that insane? So, so Microsoft said, okay, we're taking it out. And, of course, they're not happy about that. And, and uh, they've been trying to accommodate Adobe, but Adobe's been very aggressive about this. It's crazy. You know, I guess Adobe needs money bad, so they're trying to bully Microsoft, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, and the fact is it's free. I mean, they've already stated that, you know, here's the licensing agreement for, for PDF. Stupid. So now Microsoft, I guess, is going to, uh, to, to make, them, make it an option when you install Vista to go and download support. But uh, they have to take it out. They're, they're going to take it out. So you got another email there from a, from, from a fan? Yeah, I got one more email. This is actually from a regular listener, uh, John Keller, who has uh, asked us if we'd mention his conference. Uh, it's a, a free conference, of course, the DevLink Technical Conference. It's going to take place in Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. on the Lipscon University campus, Cool, October 13th, 2006. So planning in advance, lots of time. Nice. And uh, the link to the website is www.devlink.net. And the list of speakers is stellar. Marcus Egger. Nice. And Ken Getz. Wow. And the curmudgeonly Bill Vaughn. <laughs> so some really great talent to, uh, we love to a free conference. Oh, we love Bill. He's great. So uh, there you go, John. I hope the conference goes really well. And everybody, if you're in the Nashville area, here's a free conference. Great talent. Great show to see. Excellent, and it's just uh, it's just wonderful to be sitting here, to, uh, you know, spreading the word about great community stuff like this from behind the microphone. Well, uh, Richard, let's uh, bring on the guest, shall we? Brian Randell is a senior consultant with MCW Technologies, and over the last 19 years, Brian's worked with companies and their developers to help create solutions that leverage various Microsoft technologies. From RPG and COBOL and HP 3000 minis to Paradox for DOS to the world of Windows, Brian has worked on a variety... I don't know if you really want to put that in your 
your CV, you know. It's, <laughs> Brian, you might want to take that out. I'm sorry. Uh, Brian has worked on a variety of projects and systems to give him a broad perspective to help educate and empower developers. Today, Brian splits up his time teaching Microsoft.net-based technologies to developers and working with new and emerging technologies like Visual Studio 2005, SQL Server 2005, and Visual Studio Team System, and consulting worldwide for clients such as Microsoft, American Honda, Dell, and others. Welcome, Brian Randell. Hi, Brian. Hey, Carl. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Richard. It's good to hey, have hi. you back. Thanks, guys. I love being back. You might have realized it's been like a freaking year. It Time has. Flies. It has. And do we have a new version of Virtual PC? Uh, actually, we don't have a new version of Virtual PC, but the real excitement's in the virtual server space, brother. Yeah, sure is. And I know that uh, I know Richard's gotten uh, you know a big honking server going in 64-bit, and he's got virtual machines all over the place, don't you, Richard? Oh, absolutely. But I am trailing Brian on this because he's got the big machine right now. What it's do you a got? Tank. What do you got, Brian? It's a uh, dual proc, dual core, so it shows them as four processors, eight gig of RAM, x64 with 3.5 terabytes of disk space. Are those, oh my God! Are those AMDs? AMD Optron 270s with one meg of on, on chip cache. Oh. And how many how many terabytes of storage? Uh, three point five. Um, only three is available for VMs because I've got an RAID five array, and then I've got the dual the boot disks are in a mirrored setup, so it's a little less usable space. But total three point five of actual hard drive. Anytime you start talking terabytes, that's plenty of space. I mean, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's not as much so as we good. thought. You know, I really wanted five terabytes, so I had to settle for 3.5. Come on. <laughs> give me a break. Yeah, it's a little sick. So but, how, but you're on board, Brian, with this whole <laughs> idea of virtualizing all your servers. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I still believe that there's some server cases where virtualization won't, doesn't make sense, but that's changing. And, I mean, I mean, the first thing we've got to talk about is I think, you know, people – have had this perception that maybe Microsoft is lagging uh, in the virtualization space, especially compared to VMware. Mm. One of the problems I think we have is this perception uh, that Microsoft is telling us everything, right? They're basically opening up the kimono for all to see on everything they're doing, and they're not. The virtualization Mm. team, in fact, tends to operate very close to the chest. They don't say anything. For example, I work for them internally on different projects at Microsoft, but I don't know squat about what's coming in the next release of virtual PC. Other than that, they haven't killed the product. It's still coming. Yeah. They are super tight-lipped. But last week at WinHack, they pulled up in the kimono and showed some killer stuff. Hmm. Did either of you guys see the Bill Gates keynote the, about it? No. Oh, man. So here's, here's the big things that are coming. Now, let's be clear to all the listeners. These are coming in the future, and the key thing is that to take advantage of this stuff, you're going to have to be running x64 hosts. You're going to have to be running 64-bit host operating systems. And it's going to be Longhorn, Longhorn right. server. So, first of all, they're going to have a new GUI to manage it that's Windows-based. So, for those of you who don't like the web interface, new sex there. Nice. x64 virtual machine support. So, right now, that's one of the big things. You can only run 32-bit virtual machines regardless of your host. Yeah. SMP support. That's been a big one that people have been, you know, talking about, particularly VMware for the last few years has been pushing their ESX server, which is cost big bucks. I think a full setup can run you like eighteen grand. You know, wow. there's, yeah, it's, it's not cheap to get a full setup from them, but you know, it's pretty cool stuff, right? They've had the market cornered. Yeah. Well, Microsoft on stage showed you'll love this. Not one, not dual core or dual proc, excuse me, but four way virtual machine. In other words, they had a virtual machine that had four virtual processors. Virtual processors. Yeah, so what happens is you have a multi-processor host box. Yeah. And it can virtualize multiple of those processors inside the virtual machine. Today, it doesn't matter if you're running on a single processor host box or a 16-way box. Your virtual machines are always uniprocessor if you're running virtual server. So in other words, you can, if you have four processors, you can assign one to each virtual machine. Well, well you can... Is that what you're saying? Or? No, no. What I'm, well, right now what happens is if you have a multi-processor machine... Virtual server gives each virtual machine has a unit processor, and they do automatic scheduling like other server-based apps. Oh, but, I see. But your virtual machine only sees one proc. So I if see. you're a task manager inside, you see one processor. So each virtual machine will see all four procs. Well, it can see what you decide to give it. You actually can Whatever tell it how many oh, processors no. you want to give it. That nice. is super cool. Wow. But it gets, it gets better. They're going to have hot ad for virtual network adapters as well as hot ad memory support. 
you got to go to the WinHex site and watch the keynote. It's about Hot. four. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Hot ad meaning while something is running, you just say, hey, give me another network adapter. Boom. Uh-huh. It's, 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 <laughs> it's amazing. you got to watch the video. It's at the WinHex site. Bill Gates keynote. Bill's kind of, I mean, I have to say, I, I really used to love Bill, but he just looks like he rolled out of bed to do this talk, and he was just out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but it was. It was pretty bad. But if you go about 14, 14 minutes in, that's when Bill gets to the part of virtualization. And Jeff Woosley from the VM team, along with Mike Sterling, they come up and they show these demos. It was a pure sex experience, man. I was just, oh, my God, this looks amazing. Wow. Because what they did was they first showed, of course, a dual-proc VM, right, which is what VMware has right now. Yeah. Then they showed the four-way, and then they showed adding a hot, hot adding a network card, which you can't do today, and then they had a, a, process, a machine, I think it was running four gig, and they gave it another gig, so it had five gigs on the fly. Wow. It was the coolest thing. Jeez. So you got you, people. You got to watch this video if you're if you're into virtualization. I mean, this is cool. Now, a couple things about this. This is going to be uh, built into the um, operating system with Longhorn Server. Now, they haven't specified SKUs and stuff, but uh, it's part of what's called the hypervisor, which is the virtualization is built into the OS. So this is not a new version of Virtual Server. Let's be clear: Virtual Server is a separate product yeah. that they're continuing to working on. This is going to be stuff that's built into the OS. Um, and it's going to require, like, you know, quad proc support is going to need x64 edition and things like that. So, I mean, it was, it's just pretty amazing stuff. So they are working hard. Now, the only downside is they're saying it's going to be about 180 days after Longhorn server shift. So we're looking, you know, late 2007, probably before we see this stuff um, in production. Now, hopefully we'll see beta sooner than later, but who knows. You, out of the blue, question. Do you think all this x64 stuff and the uh, the systems that can now devour RAM, you think this is going to have any effect on RAM prices? I think yes and no. I think on one hand we've seen prices going down Yeah. Um, in some of the markets, but like I was just looking right now because I'm only, only, right? This is pathetic, right? I've only got 8 gigs of RAM in my box, oh. and I can actually have 16. <laughs> right? So I went to go price, and you know, still it's, it's looking at it would cost me because I'd have to replace what I have because I have one meg, uh, excuse me, one gig sims, right? Right. So two gig sims right now are running about four hundred and something bucks. Yeah. From crucial, so it's going to set me back. And you do the math; it's you know about you know thirty two hundred bucks U.S. Yeah. To go to sixteen gigs, so I'll probably wait a little bit, but you know, I got the box that way to do it because I can do so much. I can bring up, for example, an entire virtual domain with ISIS server to, to do the, the NAT for me and caching of uploads and uh, downloads. I can have a domain controller, my full team system environment, for example, and do full tests all in a virtualized environment. The amount of hardware it would take to do that is ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, I think RAM prices are going to go down in all honesty because what we've seen, we've seen the same thing in the laptops. We're finally starting to see laptops that will really support more than two gig of RAM. Yeah. But the price right now, like Dell has this monster beast that right. will, the XPS, I think, 1710N, mm. that actually supports four gig. I made the guy go check it because I was thinking about getting one. Yeah. The problem is getting four gig of RAM right now, it's like over 1600 bucks. And the thing is, is you know, if you're, if you're not running a 64-bit operating system, you're wasting that other extra two gig of RAM. Well, that's actually a misconception. The issue is the chipset of the, of the board. Huh. So what happens is, the, the motherboard has to support it through the chipset. It has to do with virtual memory address mapping. In fact, Ian Griffiths has a great blog post that explains the details because it's a common misconception that current versions of 32-bit Windows can't use 4 gig of RAM. Right. They can, but you have to have proper chipset support on the motherboard. No, I didn't know that. I thought, yeah. it, was just, I thought it was an XP thing. No, it's, it's a great thing. In fact, I'll dig up the link so that we, I'll post it on my blog so people have it, and I'll even send it to you, Carl. Yeah, send them to us. We'll, we'll, we'll make them available. Yeah, it's a, really, it's a really interesting post, and Ian, you know, clears up the details. And the problem is, for example, uh, IBM Lenovo, the, the new ThinkPad they have, their T60, it's actually designed physically to support 4 gigs of RAM, right? Hmm. But if you read the fine print uh, from Lenovo's side and read their PDF download, it says we only support 3 gig. That's because the way they did the chipset. Hmm. Hmm. So you kind of screwed. The Dell, like, I made the guy go check. I go, go in and check the thing. He said, yeah, we're going right here. Supports 4 gig. Nice. And it runs 32-bit. Now, the key thing is, for 64-bit, yeah, you know, if you only have 4 gig, you're going to see a maybe marginal improvement in performance. But when you get to that 8 gig of RAM, you know, that yeah. 16 gig, that's really, X64 is going to really stand out. Because you can, you can totally devote, you know, 2, 3, 4 gigs of RAM to each virtual machine. Nice. You got it. 
Nice. Yeah. Now the problem right now is today, with at least with Microsoft, because I'm not I'm not really up to speed on what VMware is doing these days. But with Microsoft, your VMs are limited to 3.6 gig max RAM. Yeah. Regardless of amount of host RAM, that's one of the, also the big changes coming that new virtualization suite that's coming in the next you know year or two from them is that VMs will be able to support more than four gigs of RAM. Hey, what happens to the swap file in all this? Do you still have a swap file? Absolutely. Do you, do you use a swap file even though you have 8 gigs of RAM? Absolutely. Yeah? Why? Well, it's my understanding if you read books like, you know, Windows Internals by you know, Rasanovich and Solomon, all right, you know, the two gods out yeah. there when it comes to the plumbing, you know, that Windows always still has a need to page things out based upon load. And to, you know, when you're saying there's no swap file, right, it doesn't have any place to work with when it wants to page things out. It's just a natural... Evolution of things. Now, some people you can't page to RAM. Um, I mean, isn't that the whole idea of the swap to to take the spillover? Right, but if you're going to push the limits on it, you yeah. know, now, this is the problem. I'm not an expert on this. I, I maybe I'm superstitious and I'm still stuck in a, in a time warped era. You know, this is where again I'm outside my expertise, unfortunately. But I still believe in a swap on. I still allocate it. I mean, here's the thing: Microsoft builds X64 Windows, right? It's new. Yeah. Why do we still have the option for option for a swap file? If, you know, even sure, though I yeah. see I have eight gig RAM. Yeah, it's a good point. So, you know, you got me off the cuff there. I'd have to read up. Maybe there are backward compatibility issues. Maybe there are programs that, I don't know. That, that's kind of dumb because it's not an application-level thing. It, it's, it's quite possible. You know what I'm going to do, though? Just for, for giggles while we're on the phone here, I'm pulling out my, my version 4 book of Rasanovich and Solomon. And while you're doing that, Richard, what about you in the swap file? Didn't, don't, yeah. don't, what do you do? Well, I mean, the swap file's still there. I go with the defaults because Windows wants it. It's got to be there. So, yeah. you know, generally speaking, if you get a swap file, you've done something wrong. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. What I've been doing, what I've been listening and, and to you guys talk is I went and checked out the Dell because I love the 1710 mm. and saw they've now got a 2010 because we all need a 20-inch LCD <laughs> panel on our laptops. Oh, my God. <laughs> you're kidding. 20-inch screen on your laptop somebody stop these people it's 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 luggage yeah this is it'll it doesn't need a bag it is a bag it's enormous this portion of dotnet rocks brought to you by telerik rad controls the most comprehensive suite of components for windows forms and aspnet web applications online at www.telerik.com You know what's driving me crazy about these four gig machines is they don't ship with X64 on them. Yeah. And if you're going to go 64 bit, you got to have drivers. Why these things won't ship with X64 blows my mind. By the way, this uh, M2010 full size keyboard, including keypad, because hey, you got a 20 inch LCD panel. What else are you going to do? <laughs> oh my God, this thing has a handle. <laughs> yeah, because you have We're a handle. We're going back to Legibles, Richard. Yeah, yeah we're, it's, this is a, this is a trip backwards. What the hell is the are, are the bag makers going to do now? I was just thinking about my brain bag, you know, my Tom Bin bag. I barely, you know, Miguel Castro was up here last week teaching a class, and he saw that my XPS Gen Two fit, and I have the seventeen ten that it fit into the the brain bag, and he's like, "Oh my God, what kind of sleeve did you get?" You know, he because he he called them and they said it wouldn't fit, and <laughs> and it barely fits. I mean, I can't close it. You know, I can't close the insert. I can't zip up the insert, but that's all right. I can zip the bag up. But now I can imagine if I got a 20 inch, these guys are, are shitting bricks. What They're are they going to do? <laughs> They're totally you out of control. You have to carry those things on your back? <laughs> well, yeah. I'm already humping over with all the stuff I carry in my backpack. Believe it or my- not, the, the laptop isn't as heavy as the external hard drive and all the cables and other crap that I have to carry with me, so... These days in my Tom bin, I have the tank, which is the original XPS. Yeah. All the cables and gear for that, of course. And I'm also carrying that mobile, com- uh, the motion computing tablet. Yeah. So I'm carrying two. I love going up to the, you know, when you're going through security. Yeah. You a laptop in your bag? Why, yes, two, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you get that look on their faces. 
And you like show them the tablet, and they're like, "Hey, yeah, that's pretty cool. Can you surf through?" You're like, "Yeah, yeah." Just go like the people behind you. Go, hey, come on, come on, let's go. <laughs> well, what I re- I always have the keyboard snapped over the face of the tablet, yeah. so they can't open it. They can't figure out how to open the thing. So you have nice. to demonstrate opening it up. But you had to take two laptops out to send it through. But that now that's a heavy bag. Yeah, that's one of those. You know, maybe I should be talking about it in the air because if the airlines ever catch on to just how much weight is in my Tom Bin bag, <laughs> I will have to check that bag. Right. No seat for you. Just <laughs> <laughs> buy an extra seat just for your bag, oh, ma'am. But you know, it's it's that's a workout right there. Getting the whole trick to carrying an overweight bag onto a onto an airplane is to carry it in the backpack and to wear it the whole time, so it looks like you're not carrying anything. Exactly. Which means not only do you have to wear it, but you have to look casual while you're wearing 50 pounds strapped to your back. (laughs) You can't be breathing heavy and sweating like a pig. (laughs) So there I am wearing this thing and slinging my big bags around, you know, to to get them checked so they won't notice that I'm wearing, you know, a bag heavier than anything I'm checking on my back. And at the end of it, I'm like, okay, I need a couple of Advil because I can't walk anymore. (laughs) Richard, you've developed a limp. What's going on? Brian, what are you going to be doing at Tech Ed, if anything? Well, Butch, but before we go to that, just let me tell you, I did some poking, and look what I just found. I'm glad you asked that question, Richard. A new KB article, well, fairly new, November 10th, 2005, revision 8.1, by the way. Hmm. Um, the bottom line summary, you might not need a page file. Hmm. Yeah, that's it what says, I, I, this is what I heard, and that's why I brought it up. Well, you know, I'm going to have to read this article completely, but I will include the link for everybody else. And it says 64-bit with lots of RAM. You can do some performance monitoring. You might not need it. So there you go. Okay. We'll check I'm it out. I'm wasting, you know, three gigs of disk space. What the hell am I doing? I've only got three terabyte. What am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You notice the swap file just doesn't matter much. Uh, yeah. How much did you want? Yeah. A gig? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So tech is going to be awesome because, first of all, I get to do a pre-con with Kimberly Tripp. Uh, that's just a day of fun and, and merriment. Wow. Um, we're doing SQL Server 2005 for developers, and you know, we're just going to try and cause as much trouble as possible. That's going to be great. On Sunday. And then uh, I've got two talks. I'm doing a uh, talk on Team System Developer Edition. And actually, I'm already repeating it. They told me I get to do it Monday and Wednesday. So if you missed the first one, come on Wednesday. And then Friday, I'm doing a talk on deploying your apps with SQL Server, whether it be Express or the hmm. full-blown version, deploying databases, that kind of stuff. So generally a week of mayhem. And one of the things, though, is I have to fly in early because I'm bringing hot-off-the-grill hands-on labs for the new database developer SKU for Team Systems. So it's going to be a fun week. Wow, great. This... We were actually talking about that product with the team at TechEd. That's right. This may be the first time anybody's heard of that SKU, so let's talk about it. Well, so for those of you, you know, everybody should know what Team System is by now. I mean, come on, Microsoft spent a few probably billion dollars on advertising. Yeah. But what we have on the client side is we have three individual role-based SKUs. We have an architect SKU, a developer SKU, and a tester SKU. And, of course, if you want to give Microsoft the big money, you can get the Team Suite Edition, which gives you all three. Yeah. Well, what they're coming up with is a fourth role for database professionals. And that fourth nice. role will uh, basically make it easier to integrate the develop the database developer into the lifecycle. Right, so it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, all those all those great uh, testing tools you can now apply to SQL Server, for example. Some really yeah, good stuff. It's well, really and I just love the idea of treating so- uh, database development the same way we do software development: testing unit by unit. Uh, being able to do regressive tests, and also to have the testing independent of the creation yeah. so that we can have another team, a test team, that's evaluating our databases the same way they evaluate our classes. Right. No, it, you know, it's re- I mean, granted, it's, you know, the first release, it's going to be missing things that people, of course, want. But, oh, my God, if you look at the specs and what's in it, and I've, you know, I've been working on it for the last six weeks, on um, working for the team, writing labs. And, I mean, first of all, the thing that just turns me on is I can put my database objects under source control at a very granular level. Right, I'm talking. To, we're down. Your individual keys and indexes have their own nodes in the source code control repository, so you can do total versioning and diffing on them. Yeah, you have the ability to do diffing of your test database to your production database. You can do sandbox development. You can do unit testing. You have the ability to generate data. It's so cool. You got these built-in data generators that will do things based upon regular expressions, random Unicode data, or because we're geeks, you can write your own custom generator. Um, you can do data comparison between two databases to see if the data is different. It's it's amazing product. I think it's really going to be a hit. 
That's great. And as Richard said, we're going to be talking to the team uh, at TechEd at a, at a live .NET Rocks show. And uh, Richard, we have a date on that too, isn't it Monday? It's going to be on the Monday uh, from 12 noon to 1.15 p.m. Right. So right as you're having lunch or after lunch, we, we got an interview with the team. So who's coming? Do you have uh, the list of head count yet, or are they going to surprise you with who shows up? It's a Cameron Skinner and Gert Drapers. Oh, man, you're lucky, man. Those guys... Well, everybody knows uh, Gert is in the sequel space, right? Yeah. Well, for sure. <laughs> we, last time we saw Gert was in Las Vegas right after the road show. You yeah. remember? We were at Dev Connections. We, yes. Her, uh, our, uh, Gert and uh, Kim Tripp came out for dinner with us. It was great. So, yeah, yeah okay. we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, it's definitely Gert's, you know, it's, the whole team is really excited. They've been working hard. But, you know, this, Gert is definitely uh, personally attached to this product at the hip. That well, I think great. it's an industry breakthrough, plain and simple. I don't think we're overstating the case when we say we're finally treating database developers the way we treat code developers, with a complete development environment, uh, fully integrated, and fully a part of the team. It's huge. No, I think, I think you're right, Rich. I think that is one of the, the, that gets lost sometimes in the, the marketing as far as the feature set, right? What does it do for me, right? But think about what we're doing for the life cycle, integrating the DBA slash database professional into the experience in the full life cycle. It is huge. I mean, Microsoft's really going to be writing the book on this. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the next question is out of people's mouths is, can I do it with something other than SQL Server? Because I know some databases that need a lot more help than SQL Server does. Well, unfortunately, in this first release, uh, unless something dramatically changes, uh, it's going to be SQL Server 2000 and 2005 out of the box. They're definitely looking at supporting other vendors' databases, uh, figure out which names you want to put on that list mm -hmm. uh, in a future release. But the big thing is they, they want to get this puppy out as soon as possible, and so they have to do a limited set of features to make sure it's high quality and gets out the door. You know, it's a, we've talked about this before a lot on .NET Rocks, and it's just the nature of the job of you know the DBA has, has really, really changed with all this great .NET stuff. Hasn't it? I mean, it, it, ever since uh, the, we ha heard talk of putting the, the CLR into SQL Server, you know, DBAs, have some have been scared off and others have embraced it. But the role of, of that database professional has really, really changed. And I guess this is Microsoft's effort to, you know, if the role is going to change, let's give them first-class tools, you know. What do you well, think? they've always done a great job of that, I think. But, you know, we're, I think we're really starting to see that better together as the team's we cross over and, and, and get like, you know, obviously we're going to you know, do a great job for SQL Server. Yeah. But bringing the whole mindset of what the developer division is doing to the IT professional. You know, yeah. even Kim is talked about. You know, she's more of an IT professional when it comes to SQL Server. Yeah. But she's looking at how the great things it'll do for her coming from that world, right? Just source code control alone, but let alone the database comparison features are just great. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about being able to have an MSI, and maybe this is not all in there yet, but this is my vision, that having an MSI that then not only updates the software, but looks at the database and says, hey, I need to apply these next three patches to get this database up to date for this version of the code. You know, the, the challenge of managing databases is that there's no drop and replace. You can't just replace the code, replace the database like you replace the code. You have to alter because you don't want to destroy the data. That makes people grumpy. Right. You know, you've got to be able to do it piece by piece over time. And each of those patches can only be applied once. They don't make sense the second time. So you got to apply them and you got to apply them in order and you only can apply the right ones. And that's tough stuff to do well in an automated fashion. Yeah, I'm not sure how much we're, we're going to see in this first release related to that, but definitely you know, deployment and comparison and making sure that you feel comfortable is there. Plus, there are the options. Every time you're going to do something major, you can let the system do it, or they'll generate the script and let you have that comfort level to sit there and look exactly what they're doing. So there's no magic, right? Cause that's yeah, no voodoo. Yeah, you start messing with their databases, and they just, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, um, getting back to uh, to virtual server and all of this stuff, and especially your box, um, you know, people who buy hardware and or, or fantasize about buying the kind of hardware that uh, that you're buying, you, you know, there's tons of places to buy it. And for me, whenever I'm going to buy hardware, I call my friend Richard. You know, <laughs> everybody calls Richard. So I want to know where, including where, Brian Randall, I might add. Where did you get it, and what did you get? Well, so, you know, I went back and forth on this. I compared some of the major vendors, uh, like Dell. Um, but what I went with is I said, you know, I was going to give one of the boutique vendors a chance. And I'd heard about this company called ThinkMate. 
and I'd heard about them on Chris Sells' win-off-topic mailing list. I liked the way I could configure their machine. They did all sorts of the esoteric stuff. And so I talked to them on the phone. I did a configuration, and I just thought, you know, I'm going to give these guys a chance. They're um, out of your deck of the woods, Carl. They're in uh, Massachusetts. Huh. And so I went with ThinkMate, and you can go to their site. You can do the configurator. They have what are called storage servers. So my box is a 3U monster, mm-hmm. and it's got, you know, the 12 uh, RAID disks in there, plus dual boot um, disks, uh, DVD drive, as well as a floppy. Um, USB, I mean, it's got a tie-in motherboard, and I just configured it out, and for a nice uh, bit of change, they just sent me a wonderful box, and I've been really happy with it. What'd you get for drives? Those uh, Fujitsu 500 giggers or Hitachis? I stuck with the Seagate uh, 250 gigs. Uh huh. Is what I went with. It was, you know, it came down to I was just, you know, as you, if you play the configuration game, you can figure out I spent, you know, well into the eight thousand dollar range. Yeah. Right. So this wasn't a casual investment. So I was really just at my limit. Plus, you start getting that whole type of, you know, I want something that I know has been out for a while and been good. And the Seagate drives or the Barracudas that have had a good rep. And yeah. so I thought that would be good. And like I said, you know, three point five terabytes. Well, I can start with that. Now, now, <laughs> did you skimp on the video? Well, it's a server, so it's it's it sits headless in the garage. Oh, I see. Yeah, so I, I hook it in with the remote desktop, and it's great because all they do is I get it set up, and then I've got, like right now, my VM console has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I got 11 VMs set up on it. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that, that doesn't Do you imagine suck. having all those machines? Oh, I know. That's just the thing. Right. You couldn't handle it. I'm only complaining about heat with just this one box, and so just it's amazing what I can do. Is it loud? It's it's like a jet plane. It's got redundant <laughs> redundant power supply. I've got three power supplies, six hundred fifty watts of power. Oh man! Yeah, it's just it's just it's a jet plane taking off. It's got uh, three uh, network adapters, two of which are gigabit. Um, you know all the good stuff you'd want. It's, it's they did a great job. And like I said, you know I thought I'd try the boutique vendor. The price was right. And the thing is, Microsoft was gracious enough at last year's tech ed, which is you know one more reason to show up. They gave us a licensed copy of. Enterprise Edition X64 Windows Server to 2003. Wow. So, you know, I, I'm fully licensed. I'm, you know, I, I try and respect that kind of stuff, and, you know, so it just was a good deal for me. Cool. So, and, and what did you say? They were SATA drives? Yeah, they're all SATA drives, yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's you know, beam. for those who are not really played, I'm thinking about what does a developer care about VPC for? Uh, I mean, I know that there's some great reasons to use it, but we really should go through the fundamentals here. If you've never worked with virtual PC before, there's some things you should know about why you want to do this. Yeah. You want to walk us through the whole plan here, Brian, of why this is goodness? Yeah, so let's, you know, let's, 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 let's I guess, step it back, right? That's for, you know, we're focused on the Microsoft space. There's other vendors in this space. You have VMware, of course, which, it was, which got acquired by EMC Corp. Um, there's other companies that have, like, for example, a product on the Mac called Parallels, which lets you run VMs on the new Macs that are Intel-based. Huh. But the two behemoths of the market right now are EMC and uh, Microsoft, although there's some interesting stuff coming that's open source, the Zen stuff. So it's, it's a really interesting field that I think is going to be even you know, more dynamic over the years to come. But at the end of the day, virtualization is real straightforward from Microsoft's perspective. Are you doing server-based virtualization or client-based? But wait, newsflash, make sure everybody knows this. Oh, a few weeks ago, actually, kicking in about eight weeks ago, Microsoft decided to start giving away, that's right, folks, free Virtual Server 2005 R2. Huh. So is a little history here. Microsoft acquires this little company called Kinetics. And I say little, little relative to the size of Microsoft. And they acquire <laughs> the rights and the people for their virtual PC products, both Windows and Mac, and a forthcoming virtualization product for servers that became Virtual Server. When they sold, came, th- brought things out, they started selling virtual PC for around the $129 range. Virtual Server, when it came out, had two versions. A standard edition, which sold for 500 bucks, and an enterprise edition, which sold for a grand. Okay. Well, over time, right, you know, VMware started saying, hey, some competition, Microsoft's serious about this. Let's do some changes on our end, and they announced a free virtualization server product. Hmm. Well, basically, the minute they did that, they kind of gave Microsoft the golden key. Because you know, I think Microsoft finally learned something from that whole antitrust stuff from the 90s. Yeah. You can't give away stuff first. Right. If you do it first, you're the bad guy. Right. Right. But, hey, VMware went to, you know, they basically fired the shot across the bow and said, hey, we're going to give our ser- one of our server products away. Now, not their high end. But basically, they're mid-range server products. Yeah, we think we can starve Microsoft out of this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was smart, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so they, 
they do that, and, that's, and Microsoft says, okay, you asked for it. So these are actually two big announcements that came earlier in the year. Virtual Server is now free. You can go download from the web. All you have to do is just register. And the other thing is that they're supporting now through, with a third party. They had to do some special stuff to make sure they don't get into any um, intellectual property issues. But they're supporting Linux virtual machines. Hmm. So before, they were only supporting Windows. Now they're supporting Linux. They have virtual machine additions, which helps with the performance. So the bottom line is you've got this free virtualization product. Now, people wonder, then, well, why do we still need virtual PC? Yeah, uh, right. Uh, and that is a good question because there's a virtual PC player or a VMware player or something that's available for free. So right. you can, while you can't configure a VMware machine, you can distribute one for free without your clients having to buy a copy of VMware. Yeah, well, since this guy, this, this guy, we could talk for two hours, but let's, let's get to the nitty-gritty. Real <laughs> quick, why do you care about virtualization? Virtualization is great because it allows you to sandbox applications, operating systems, and environments. So, for example, you're doing help desk support, and you need to have an environment that duplicates your customer's environment. And say you're running Windows XP, but they run Windows 2000. Bam, right there's a good use of virtualization. Yeah. For developers, it's a no-brainer. I did this MSD deployment toolkit. I had a test on Every operating system supported. That meant 98, 98 FE. You think I have real boxes around running that OS anymore? Right. Forget God, that. God, <laughs> forbid. Right? I'm always running the latest operating system. So let's you t- you run older operating systems or non-standard operating systems. Windows 3.1, yeah. Got to test our software on Windows 3.1. I've actually got one of those floating around here. And, in fact, <laughs> one of the guys from the VM team at Microsoft uh, made one that has Bob in it, which is always no. a fun. Oh, no. <laughs> Bob lives in the virtual space, baby. On Windows 3.1. Correct. As goodness yeah. knows he's not going to get his own hardware. Yeah, it's, it's a little sad, but it's funny. Anyway. But anyway. <laughs> sorry, sorry for interrupting. I'm sorry. No, no, really. Sorry. I get going. You know, you got to interrupt me. Otherwise, I won't breathe. That's called a pie in the face technique. It's something <laughs> I learned in broadcasting school, right? <laughs> oh, man. So, virtual PC versus virtual server. So, virtual PC you still have to pay for. Although, if you have an MSDN uh, operating system or higher subscription, you get it included. So why are they still charging for it? Well, because VMware is still charging for their desktop product. Right. So I think if VMware were to make it free, then I think you'd see Microsoft counter. But I think they're trying to be smart about the whole antitrust thing. Well, they should. If they don't already, they should have a player that's free. You should be able to, you know, play, if you will, not change, but use a virtual machine that somebody else has created. Well, there's some interesting stuff on that. First of all, enterprise customers that have certain... Enterprise licensing. I say certain because I don't know about you, but I don't understand Microsoft licensing half the time. Nobody understands. About, yeah. Yeah. So the bottom line is, I do know there's a special SKU called Virtual PC Express that lets you run one virtual machine at a time. Um, and now, it's included with their XP licenses for enterprise customers. You can't buy it off the street. You have to have a certain volume. Okay, that explains license. it because I went looking for this Virtual PC Express and I saw this. The last documentation I saw for it was dated 2004, and nobody seems to know if it exists or not. No, it does exist, but you know, you, it's not even really available internally. It's only available specially to okay. um, enterprise customers. Now that gives us kind of a teaser what they could do, but I think they're trying to be very careful with this, right? You know, antitrust and all that, right? And one disclaimer, right, I know nothing special. Microsoft is super quiet about what they're doing with virtual PC. I'll even say it's not dead. That's the biggest thing they've said so far. Mm-hmm. But the reason you need virtual PC is it's designed for interactive use, drag and dropping files from the desktop into your VM. It supports sound. Yeah. It's designed for interactive use, whereas the server product, while you can do a lot of this stuff, for example, virtual server does not support a sound card. So Why you want sound, yeah. you can't do it. You can fake it. There's a trick. The hack is, of course, to log in via remote desktop and have it use your sound card through your host. That's a kind of a cool the only, trick. The only thing do. I could think of where you need that is running media services, right? Well, media services, well, you know, some people, you know, they're trying to duplicate their environment. Like, I like to surf the web via VM. Yeah. And that way, you know, because I can protect myself. Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing is, if you want to get the poop, you know, when hack teases us a lot about what's coming in the future releases, and they're doing a lot of work to make it better to virtualize devices. So I think we're going to see a better version of virtual PC at some point that will really address you know, why you still need to have the two products. Um, the other thing is that whole you know, usage model, interactive versus you know, headless server mode. Right. Now, yeah. on the VM player thing, what's interesting about that is everybody wants that, but they forget one little issue. 
And that's a thing called Windows Operating System Licensing. Yeah. See, the VMware player uh, right. is cool, right. but when you go to a VMware site to download their free VMs, what do you find there? You find all the free OSs like Linux, et cetera, which is right. nothing wrong with that. Those are great offerings. Because the, what you're saying is, if I, let's say, here's an example. Let's say I was going to teach a class remotely, and I had yep. 20 students all around the U.S. or the world or wherever, and I'd put a VM player with you know, everything that they need to run on a DVD and send it to them. I'm breaking the law. You absolutely, if the operating system is a Windows operating system. Right. Now, the way you can get around the law, of course, is you could purchase 20 copies of, say, Windows XP. Right. And ship those. That's, that's perfectly legal. Now, you might but as well the, buy a virtual PC as well. Well, yeah, you have to, yeah. You, well, well, you know what I mean. Well, my point is, you can still use the VMware player. The key is that you can't legally ship Windows out to people that way. And right. that's what people right. forget. Right. That's so a very I good think, point, you know, a very good point. And we do literally forget because all these machines that we buy already have the operating system on them. We don't think about the fact that that's been paid for. It was built into the price of your machine. Right. And there's a cost obligation when you go and install your own OS. Absolutely. And particularly people, I think, with who have MSDN subscriptions, we get all those shiny DVDs and we have the download services. And right. What's the big deal? But you really got to be aware of your licensing if you just want to stay out of trouble, you know? They're not well, if you're, if you're if you're testing, you know, your software on a bunch of different OSs with an MSTN uh, license, are you covered for that? Yeah, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. So there's a couple of things, you know, disclaimer, <laughs> Brian Randall is not a lawyer and cannot distribute <laughs> legal advice. Nor is yes, Carl and, or Richard. And no, and no human actually understands the licensing agreements of Microsoft. <laughs> Only the lawyers do, and most of those people aren't alive. <laughs> right. But to give you my basic understanding of it, number one is if you have a licensed copy of Windows XP Pro, okay, mm-hmm. And you install Virtual PC, you actually get a bonus free license to install XP into the virtual machine, one copy. Yeah. So that's from the pure consumer perspective. From an MSDN perspective, yeah, you have the standard licensing which says how many times you can install the OS. You need to read that. I think it's usually 10. You get 10 installs. Yeah. Um, but you could build the VMs if they're just for test and work. But obviously, if you're running, you know, say you're running your web server and you decide you don't want to buy an extra box, so you buy a VM because you get hardly any traffic. Yeah, you got to buy a license for that OS. I think that's what people miss. Right. But yeah, the MSDN license you know covers you for dev and test and provides virtual PC and of course virtual servers free. So you got a good setup for that. But all this production stuff requires a uh, you know real real software license. Right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Developer Express, crafting first class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. Yeah, that's the big line there is you're allowed with your MSDN license to test anything you want to test. But as soon as you're going to put it into production, as soon as you're going to charge money for it or any of those sorts of things, you've got to go buy the license. Right. If it's going to exist in a real way. Exactly. Well, and that's like me. You know, on my host server, I had to make sure I was licensed. And luckily, I got a licensed copy. My, I run my, my personal, I have a little domain controller and virtual machine. Well, luckily, I've got two boxes sitting here around my desk of Windows Server 2003 that I got through Microsoft. You know, I paid for them. You know, that's what has to happen. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. Luckily, my machines don't come with it installed, like, you know, my ThinkPads and stuff. Hey, Brian, shifting gears here for a minute, what do you think of this uh, PDF support in Office 12 deal? You know, I'm, I'm, constantly amazed at the hypocrisy of our industry. Um, <laughs> you amen to that, brother. You said it. Because <laughs> so, here's the thing. First of all, I am full on for, number one, intellectual property protection, people yes. making a living. This is what I do, right? I, I think companies should make money. But here's the problem. Companies like Adobe, Microsoft, etc., create these open standards, and then they decide to make the software available for free or the standard available for free. But then they get upset when they're not the leader in that particular area. I mean, look right. at all the products you can buy that generate PDFs, yeah. right? Yeah. There's free ones out there, right? There's a great uh, added for uh, Firefox. Yep. 
You know, and, and so because Microsoft's doing it, don't get me wrong. If I'm Adobe, I would be scared of what Microsoft's doing. Because yeah. guess what? Why the hell do I buy? And here's Brian's personal opinion. I think the Adobe Acrobat Pro sucks because when I try and generate yes. PDFs from my giant uh, PowerPoint files that are like 15 megs, it blows up. It never works. It's a pig. And not only oh. that, it's constantly calling home and wanting to update you, and then the updates don't work. Exactly. And it so, sucks. Well, even the regular reader does that. And trying to install all kinds of crazy stuff. I started yanking the PDF reader off and running Foxit Reader. Yeah, thanks Foxit. Scott Hanselman. Yep. Purely not because I hate Adobe, but the crap that they put on there. I still want PDF, but you've driven me away from it. Yep. And now your response to this, the fact that we don't like what you do, is to punish somebody else. And ultimately exactly. to punish us. Ultimately to punish the end user. You're saying everything I want to say in so's call because that's just it. My frustration. I've had Acrobat from I think version three. I've upgraded every release. Professional. I've given them lots of money for what a product that does not work consistently. Yet on the other hand, they can put all good stuff. They I can. love Photoshop. I love my Premiere tools. I love that stuff. But yep. what the heck is going on with this Acrobat product? We are using as we speak. We record this on Adobe Audition, which was Cool Edit Pro. Now here's an interesting story about this. This is multi-track audio editing software and recording software. It started as a project at Microsoft. Isn't this amazing? A guy, oh my at, a guy at Microsoft started this little Cool Edit program, which is just a little editor. And then he decided to make it multi-track. And then he put in plug-in support and all this great editing stuff and noise reduction. And it became a real product. So he started a, and he went to Microsoft and said, by the way, um, um, I got this from a friend inside Microsoft. Uh, he went to Microsoft and said, hey, you want to buy it? And they said, nah. So he said, okay, I'm out of here and started his own company, Centrillium. So that's when I bought my copy of it originally was when it was Centrillium Cool Edit Pro. And then uh, uh, Adobe bought it and called it Audition. They put out this version uh, 1.0 and then 1.5. And 1.5 works really well. Uh, 2.0 is the current version, and it, it it has been Adobeized. I mean, it looks a lot more like Premiere. The UI has been totally redone. It's pretty cool, don't get me wrong, but 1.5 is still stripped down. Anyway, what I'm getting at here isn't how cool it is, but uh, that's a side story. But the activation stuff that oh, Adobe, Adobe put... Adobe is like... Gestapo copy protection tactics. You cannot <laughs> run a co a copy of a licensed copy of Cool Edit Pro, which costs like four hundred bucks, or Adobe Audition, on two machines in the same room at the same time. You get one oh. or the other. When it comes online, it phones home and it makes sure that it's the version that's active and registered. And uh, it does that for Premiere. It does that for Adobe Audition. It does it for Acrobat. You Adobe. <laughs> okay, this is now the R-rated version of Dot Net Rock. There we go. <laughs> they, you know, they're really good at beating up their paying customers, and uh, and if all you know, the best way to get around that whole copy protection thing is download a pirated version. There's a group of people out there that hack it quite successfully, rip all that stuff out. We can go get that rather than buy it. And that's what people will do. Now, not me. I paid. I pay for everything I have from Adobe. But, um, you know, when you're trying to use uh, a $600 piece of software like uh, Adobe Premiere and you've got, you know, a video editing lab with two machines on it, you can't run them at the same time. Well, you know, give me a f***ing break. I'm really well, pissed about it. If you give enough money, Carl, they want $1,200 for you if you have two machines. Yeah, they can bite me. <laughs> All righty then. Yeah, I'm seriously looking at other software. I mean, it just, it's and that's just the bottom line. That's is the bottom that line. All the, it's the same thing that's happening. My reaction looking at this whole thing on the PDF stuff is obviously it's time for us to move to a different format. Right. Well, exactly. And yeah. then Microsoft's got their new format. So, you know, I mean, I, I feel for Adobe because it's, it's, it reminds me of the whole true type PostScript font. Oh, God. Issue. Yeah. Here you we know, go. And then he had, God, I've got the guy's CEO's name, but he was basically on stage and he was tearing up because Microsoft had forced them to open up PostScript and all this stuff. And it's just like, look, you know, don't get me wrong. I want software people to make money. I want to write software and make money. We all do. But at the same time, you can't 
be greedy. When you get too greedy, look what happens. The market yes. finds a way to work around you. That's right. It's ultimately a market-driven business. If you know anything about markets, they're more powerful than you are. Market forces are more powerful than your company's ability to control them. Exactly. You, can, you can harness them, but you can't control them. The worst thing you want to do is sell a product to a bunch of smart people or give away a product to a bunch of smart people and then bait and switch them. Right. Yes. Well, that doesn't work. We're bad enough to deal with when we're not annoyed with you. But when we're actively (laughs) annoyed with you, your life is miserable. That's right. That's true. (laughs) Very true. So what were we talking about? Virtualization? uh, Tech ad? (laughs) What what was the show all about? Oh, you know what we know. haven't talked about at all, really, is Team System, because I know you've been involved with Team System since the very beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I got started back when it was codenamed Burton. I went to a, a, yep. what they call an SDR, and, you know, it, I got super excited. Software development, software design review, right? Thank you very much. That's correct. Up in Redmond. In fact, myself and Rocky Lotka, who I know you've had on the show, uh, we were the only two individuals. They had mostly enterprise customers, but they brought Rocky and I because we're, you know, troublemakers generally. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to see what we <laughs> thought. And, you know, over the years, I, you know, I've written a four day course on it. I teach about it. I speak about it, do workshops. And I think it fundamentally is going to just change the way we build Microsoft software because it's really bringing the tools to the market. You know, people can complain about pricing and stuff like that. And yeah, they could have done some things differently. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, especially with the new server, I mean, they're really, taking software quality up a notch, you know, across yeah. the skew. Yeah. And, you know, between adding the new um, uh, database professional skew to what they're going to be doing in the future, I mean, they're already, you know, talking about looking, you know, what can we do to make it better? You know, it has 1.0-itis in certain uh, areas, but, you know, you give Microsoft two or three releases, it's going to be the product to beat. And I think right now it's a product to beat. I mean, it's really very compelling. Um, what's interesting is I was talking to the team, and they're saying, you know, we, we really want to see a better community. And they talked me into it, so um, I'll be launching at TechEd a new uh, community site for Team System called uh, VSTSZone.com. Yeah, and, cool. Uh, yeah, it just, you know, it's, I'm going to write stuff. I'm going to try and get other people involved. And one of the things I'm going to try and do is, you know, I love the Internet. I mean, come on. We all know we bring up our browser and it's got Google as our homepage. <laughs> and, when you wanna, and when you want to find something, you, you know? search for it. But here's a, here's a fundamental problem you're going to have. If you go look for stuff on Team System, because the product was in such a long open beta, yeah. there's lots of old beta information. Beta information and outdated and sometimes wrong information. You know, I admit it right here. Folks, never trust anything I say. Always take what I say with a grain of salt and try it out. Right? Especially how, how long ago was this recorded? You also have to take that into account. Exactly. Everything we say right now could be totally different in the future in the current time zone. Exactly. And so Something. My, one of the, the big things I'm trying to do with this site, and one of the things I'm going to do is I want to have links, but I'm going to check every link I put up there, and I'm going to also make sure it's still valid. You know, check the context. You know, what should you be aware of when this thing was written? Yeah. So that's the big thing I'm going to try and do is make sure that anything's up there is accurate. Plus, I'm going to, you know, I know a lot of people on the team, so I'm going to have interviews and, you know, what's coming and what's happening and just stuff like that. But I just want a place that could help out because the product's been good to me, and I just think, you know, we need that out there. Community is great. Yeah. And are you doing anything with Team System um, with, you know, the, the standard developer SKUs at TechEd as well? Yeah, so one of the talks I'm doing is the developer SKU. So I'm going to talk about all the quality tools, unit testing, uh, performance testing, um, code analysis, so using things like the, the uh, static code analysis to check for bad coding practices. So I have a session that I'm doing that once and then repeating it on Wednesday. So that should be, should be a lot of fun. I've got, it's, yeah. I call it Something Wicked This Way Comes, and it's your huh. code. <laughs> <laughs> double double boil in trouble and is there anything speaking of things that are coming up is there any service pack or any kind of update plan for the developer skew of visual studio team system that well, you Microsoft can talk has about announced that there'll definitely be a patch um i should say patch there'll be a full service pack coming for both the server and the client however no dates have been announced any um, idea what's going to be in that or well, I can give you a list of some of the bugs that I filed, and hopefully they'll do that. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, no. Um, they haven't. I mean, and by the way, just not to blog my session too many times, but one thing I'm going to tell you if you come to my session at TechEd is I will tell you about some of the warts I've found and things to be aware of because, well, I think the product's great. It's not perfect. Yeah. And there's some things that will really tick you off, and I'll save you some time if you come to the session. But um, in all due seriousness, they don't tend to publicly talk about the fixes that will be there 
Um, so there's, I don't know lists that I could talk about. I know some, I know of some fixes, but I don't know what the public status is on that. So we'll just have to hope that your, your bug is fixed in that release. Yeah. So Brian, you had some books on the go last time we talked to you. I think there was one on virtual uh, PC. Yeah. You know, <laughs> writing books is hard. <laughs> yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Especially when you want to do other things. Pain job got in the way, especially a team system. And so the book is not dead. I'm actively writing. I actually did write some words today. And the good news is my goal is to have a few public chapters of data available in time for TechEd. So Neat. My, check Very my good. blog in the next week or two. It will be available for download. I'm actually considering self-publishing via Lulu.com because the traditional publication cycle is just a grind. And, you know, it's just a lot easier. Plus, I can make ebooks available without any publication hassle. And so that's what I'm leaning towards doing right now. Very good. So that's for the virtual PC book? You're looking at some other methods to get it out there? Yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be – I'm probably just going to do a virtualization book. So it's going to cover virtual PC and virtual server so that you can basically read a topic. And I'll tell you if it applies to one product versus the other or what the differences are. Because I think really if you're going to do virtualization, you need both products. Right. Because yeah. they have served different purposes. Yeah, so I'm actually expanding it to virtual server, which is a big thing. Uh, but, you know, like the one of the chapters I've been working hard on right now is talking about all the different hard drive types and why you want to use one hard drive type versus another, as well as virtual server supports SCSI virtual disks and why you might want to use those versus ID. And I'm doing some performance testing to see if it actually makes sense to, to take that hit. Yeah. Yeah, there. I guess there are certain situations in which SCSI still reigns uh, supreme just because of its... You know, multiple heads and instant, near instantaneous access. Yeah, well, in the virtual world, what it does is they can support uh, reads and writes simultaneously compared to the IDE spec is how I understand it. Now, oh. not, being a, not being a hardware expert, so, so any of you hardware guys, if, if I said something wrong, don't beat me up. I'm checking my facts for the print version. <laughs> <laughs> and so besides the virtualization book, is there another one on the hopper too? No, you can't. I'm lucky if I'm gonna get this one out the door. Um, my wife would kill me if I do anything else. But no, right now that's it. I've, I've toyed with team system related books, but you know, right now it's just. I think the website. If I just do some articles, that might be a, a good way to get some of my thoughts out there. And you know, yeah. books yeah, but we really do need some good team system books sometime soon. Yeah, there's actually um, uh, two on the market now. There's a Rocks one and an A Press book, and. Um, Oh, actually, there's, there's three total. There's the MS Press book that came up by Richard Hunhausen. Yeah. Um, and then there's the – I've seen the A Press book. My opinion of them is Richard's book is great overview. I think the biggest problem we have is the product's so huge, I think people can't do it justice to do a full volume. Yeah. I think we're going to need to see specialized books. Like, here's a specialized one on just the server. Here's a specialized book on just the developer SKU. Mm. Because when you try and cover the whole thing, I mean, the A Press book I've looked at is really nice. But I went through and looked in some of the areas that I knew were more advanced areas that I spent some time with, and they don't even cover it. And yeah. I don't, I'm not you know, ragging on them at all. So it looks like a really good book. They put a lot of effort into it. But it's hard to take a product that is that big. Well, nobody, nobody lands in all of the roles that you can play in Team System, right? So it's not like you want to get a book to master everything. People are going to specialize. People, the developer needs one book. The, the database guy needs another book. The architect needs another book. Exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, because I think what happens is you end up with more, you have an overview book if you, if you do it that way. And I think, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, the one thing, there's actually a, a, one book, though, that I just got, and I did a, a read of the draft view, review, and that's uh, Sam Guckenheimer's book. Hmm. Sam talks about team system from the process perspective, which I think a lot of people need to understand. Yeah. And so that book, I can recommend full two thumbs up, five-star review. It's a really great book, um, particularly because one thing Sam starts, sets out in the beginning and says, look, Here's what I know I'm not trying to do. Yeah. You're going to rag on me maybe because I'm a Microsoft guy and I'm trying to give you my view, but he's very honest about what he's trying to tell you in the book. Mm -hmm. So highly recommended. Cool. Well, Brian, it's about that time. Uh, we'd like to ask our guests if they've seen anything lately on the web or maybe just in general that's really caught your fancy and, uh, you know, don't um, say Skype. It, if you just want software or anything in general. Anything in general. We're expanding this. We used to we used to ask people, you know, what's the coolest thing you've downloaded lately? And then it turns out, downloading isn't the only thing that's cool. So well, I have to say, I'm, I'm I roll on my chair in my office, and uh, what I'm looking at right now is my uh, iMac, and that is probably the thing that's been the most uh, the sexiest thing in, in recent memory. I'm iMac. It is in the the ones we they've been selling for five or six years now. iMac. Yeah, this, this is the Apple. One? It's 
it's the the last G5 20 inch model. Okay. And in fact, I have to say, I have to give props to Apple. I mean, Apple is a big company that does a lot of good things, a lot of bad things, like most mm. of the big companies. But to give you an idea, I bought this at the end of the year, and I got it like the first week of January. And we know what happened in January with Apple, right? They yeah. announced that little Intel thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> that little Intel thing. Yeah. So, so you I got, got a good this, deal is what you're saying. No, no, no. I, I paid full price on the G5 version. Okay. Right? So I'm, I'm watching Bill, or sorry, Bill, I'm watching um, Jobs do his keynote at Macworld, and I'm all, you, you know, effers, right? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking like, I think it's literally eight days between the day I got my iMac and got it set up and the announcement. So I'm like, I'm upset, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I call, him on the, I call him on the phone, and I want to give Apple props. The guy said, Pack it up. Here's an RMA. We won't even charge you a restocking fee. Ship it back, wow. and you can order, and order a new Intel one. Wow. Sweet. That was nice. amazing. Now, that said, I actually thought about and I decided to keep the G5 version. Huh. And here's why. The Intel stuff is all brand new. Certain yeah. apps don't run well, like Office. Uh, virtual PC doesn't work on it, interestingly enough. That's a whole other discussion. Does it still run OS X? Yeah, it runs OS X, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I decided to keep the G5 version, but I had to give Apple props for being that cool to me, knowing that you know, I just bought it. Yeah. Um, that said, it's great. I use Aperture on it. Um, I got all the, all the Apple software. I just find it really cool. In fact, you know, we talked about video editing. I use Premiere also Yeah. on the, on the Windows machines. But I wanted to see how easy it would be to do the video on the Mac without reading the man or anything. And it was pathetic. I have to tell you guys. Really? I plug in my video camera. It just starts. It tells me, go ahead, copy. I made a DVD. It was the simplest thing. I'm telling you, for home consumer... You can't beat the experience that they had here. Wow. No hardware drivers. I had a two-year-old Sony camera that I got when my son was born. Huh. Okay? I plug it in through the firewall cable, no hassles, no nothing, beautiful quality, and it's just like, God, if I could make a living on the Mac, boy, I wonder, Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except that part where I can't actually feed myself, yeah. this product rocks. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's the thing. It's like i got one iMac, and I've got, we don't even count the number of uh, quote-unquote uh, Windows machines I have. i got, I think, at least 12 of those. So, yeah. Not counting all the virtual ones, right? Yeah. Brian, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for talking about all this great stuff. And, hey, man, we're going to see you at TechEd. We'll see you at TechEd. We'll have to have a couple of beers. Everybody looks forward to seeing you. And once again, boys, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure, and uh, we'll have to do it again. Likewise. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank okay. you for listening to .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t-r-o-c-k-s. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl Never Sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a, a toy boy. Life is hard.